0: um it's about uh today's lesson is about um demons uh pigs and uh gentiles and we I like to take them together and uh <laughs> that is actually true it's in Luke chapter eight is where we are and as you make your way there uh we'll start around verse twenty six and I'll just let you know what came before uh the Lord um demonstrated his uh we'll just wait because I know this is a call from President Obama. It's very <laughs> very, very important to take the call and <laughs> yeah, wait just a second. We'll just say. Oh, okay. I know I just <laughs> thought we all listened. We'd all listened in. Listen Did I tell you on my phone uh where is my phone? I have uh when it goes off, Janice, mine, yours was very nice and pleasant. Mine is crickets. And uh, if I'm home at night and it goes off, my dogs go crap <laughs> And they start going crazy. Yeah. So I'll tell you what the Lord did last week. We read about it. He was able to tell wind to stop blowing. Could you do that? See, he demonstrated his power over the forces of nature. Luke's point is to verify the claims of Jesus to, to Messiahship. Luke wants to demonstrate from an objective point of view, he's the one you look for, look no further. He's the anticipated Messiah because he does the things only Messiah Could Only God in flesh could do. So there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and the Lord Jesus took care of it. Now you're going to see something else here. He demonstrated his authority over the forces of nature. Now you're going to see his authority demonstrated over supernatural entities, natural entities and supernatural. So we're going to enter into the realm of the demonic today. There's much... I think we could conclude, and then this text will give rise to many questions we cannot answer. They should be asked, but you just need to know. There's just a lot of questions we cannot satisfactorily answer this side of heaven, but we'll give it a shot. So verse 26, Then they sailed to the country of the, what does your Bible say? Uh, so some say Gadarenes, some say garrasenes. Yeah, and and that's the deal. We don't know where this is. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you what I mean. We know where it is. It's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Specifically is what I mean. We don't know. I'll tell you why. For those of you whose translation reads Gerasene, that's a reference to the inhabitants of a place called Gerasa. Gerasa. Uh, And that would be in modern-day Jordan, about 25 miles south of this Sea of Galilee. So modern-day Gerasa or Jerash is too far away from from this body of water. See, what's required as you read the text is a hill leading right down to the water. Uh, some say Gadara, which is another place. The, to the best of our ability, there is a place called Corsi, which probably is the specific locale where this took place. All I'm saying is we don't know precisely where this took place, but we surely know it took place. And we know generally for sure it took place on the east side of the Sea of Galilee because it says, see, which is opposite Galilee. Does your Bible say something like that? Which is opposite Gal or against Galilee is the same idea. It means the Sea of Galilee. It's a shortened form. So it means on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now we know this. These people, G- Gadarenes, Gerasenes, are located in one of the cities of a group of cities called the Decapolis, Decapolis, from the word 10. They were 10 cities primarily inhabited by Gentiles, and they were Roman cities. So they were on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, most of the cities of the Decapolis. Only one city of the Decapolis is on this side of the Jordan River. It's a place called Beit Shan. When we go to Israel, we go there. Scythopolis or Beit Shan is one of the ten cities of the Decapolis on the west side of the Jordan River. All others are on the east side of the Jordan River. So it would be like modern-day Jordan. And they were uh, inhabited, as I mentioned, primarily by Gentiles. And why is that important for you to know? Well, because we're going to read about pigs. And you know, as general rule, Jews don't do the pig thing. Now, by the way, I do. So if you want to give... Me, a gift for Christmas, uh, a honey-baked ham or Jimmy Dean sausage or something like that. It will not go to waste. I tell you that. We're not under that anymore. But, but historically, Jews don't do the, don't do the, the pig thing. So you might say, what in the world? How did pigs end up in, in the land of the Jews? Well, they ain't. They're on the other side of the tracks, so to speak. They're on the other side of the sea of Galilean Gentile territory and pig raising was actually a thriving business there. You could raise them, and you could sell them, and you could eat them. Now, it's highly likely that Jewish religious leaders in the day never went there to the Decapolis, to this particular locale. I mean, they had demons there, and they had Gentiles there. And the Jewish religious leaders didn't want to become ceremonially defiled. Isn't that interesting that the Jewish rabbi, the Lord Jesus, had no problem going here, You'll see in just a second. Because he wasn't afraid of people's uncleanness being transferred to him. That wasn't going to happen. He was intent on communicating his cleanness to them. And this is a hint at what Luke is beginning to show us, and that is the universal appeal of the gospel. It starts with Jews, but it's not supposed to stay there. It's to go from them to every people group on earth. So now we're getting a little hint of it. It's the Lord Jesus saying, I desire to spread my grace and my rule amongst all peoples, Jews and Gentiles. So this is his venture into Gentile territory. Okay, so verse 27. When he came out onto the land, he was in a boat. By the way, they have discovered a boat, a fishing boat. In fact, they call it the Jesus boat, not the one he was in. I don't think anyone in their right mind would dare say that. But one like the one he and his disciples would have been in to fish on the Sea of Galilee. They found it in the mud along the Sea of Galilee. And through very uh, careful techniques, they were able to remove it. Uh, from the mud, two thousand years, it's been there, and you can go to a place, uh, near the Sea of Galilee and actually, uh, remember we, you could actually see the, the Jesus boat. So one time, I think I told you this, but I want to do it again. I was in this little museum right on the Sea of Galilee and our group was, was w- looking at the boat and I had seen it, so I was just hanging out in the hall and I heard a conversation and I, I, I went over to the, one of the men. I said, listen, I apologize. I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but I, I heard you speaking and, uh, I said, are you one of the guys who discovered this thing? And he said, I am. It was, it's, it was, uh, farmers and, uh, he, uh, this guy and his brother discovered the thing. They're amateur archaeologists. He said, yes, I, I found it. And I, and I said, hey, listen, we're a group from Texas. It would just be so great. Would you be willing to come in there and, share a little bit with our group and he said sure so they're watching a film our group on this guy and his brother discovering it and then he, we walk in and there's the very guy right there i got some major points <laughs> with a yeah, major point <laughs> and i needed them at the time apparently so uh when he came when he the lord came out onto the land he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons So uh, it's important for you to know that demons exist. And the reason I know demons exist is because it says they do. (laughs) So the same book from which we derive everything else we believe also talks about demons. We're not allowed to extract some of the truths of the Bible and leave behind others. So the same book that tells me about the Savior and his angels tells me about Satan and his demons. And that's what a demon is. A demon is an angel, a supernatural being, fallen from above, following Satan in rebellion against the Most High God. The Bible tells me they exist and they exist today. Because the Bible tells me and you what their destiny is. It has not yet been finally resolved. It takes us into the future, something called the abyss or the lake of fire. And since we're not there yet, we know that demons are still operative today. Now, I want to just address something that may be on your minds, and and then we'll move on. There's a healthy debate amongst well-intentioned Christians about whether a Christian can be demon-possessed. And well-intentioned Christians fall on both sides of the issue. That is to say, can a demon inhabit a Christian, or is it that a demon can only influence the Christian from the outside? I'll tell you why the discussion, though stimulating, is unimportant. In the New Testament, the primary word used with reference to demons is this, to be under the influence of demons. So it doesn't spend a lot of time distinguishing whether that influence is from inside or outside. The New Testament just doesn't get too lathered up about that particular issue. We do. (laughs) But the writers of the New Testament simply want us to know you can be under the influence of demons. I think you'll agree even a Christian can be under the influence of demons. For instance, a Christian can be tempted to sin. I assure you that's not the Holy Spirit doing that. Those are evil spirits. A Christian can be deceived about faith matters. I assure you, since God is not the author of confusion, <laughs> the author is demonic. So for me, I don't know uh, how to settle that question about the specific manner in which a Christian can be, here's the New Testament word, demonized. That's what it uses. It uses the word demonized. And it doesn't distinguish whether it's inside or outside because it's not that important, folks. You just need to know they exist and anybody can be influenced, can be demonized. This man was, look, demon-possessed and he had not put on any clothing for a long time. And he was not living in a house. He was in the tombs. In that area, they had naturally formed caves and they used them for burial places. That's what this guy lived in. What is the living doing amongst the dead? Well, i got to tell you, this guy's the walking dead. That's what demons do. You're alive, but not really. <laughs> You're dead. You're spiritually dead. And you know, uh we've been created to be in the image of God. That's quite an honor. God didn't give it to trees and rocks and dogs. He, he gave us this enormous privilege of being to be made in his image. And Satan knows that and hates it. Therefore he wants to degrade and defame the image of God in us. He's doing it with this man. Uh, he's naked, he's isolated, uh, he is absolutely unrestrained. And he's he's out there away from away from people. You see, the Savior desires to occupy Not Wall Street. He desires to occupy the human heart. So too does Satan. Why? Um, Satan cannot create. I don't know if you knew this. Neither can you. He is a created being. So are you. We, therefore, don't have the capacity to create meaning, to call into existence what is not. In the beginning, the earth was formless and void, and God said, let it be filled (laughs) and full. He spoke into existence what was not. Let there be light. You cannot do that, and neither can Satan. He is the creator. Nobody else is. But Satan can counterfeit what the creator does, and that's the number one thrust of what Satan does. He simply counterfeits what is. So if the Savior wants to occupy a human heart, Satan says, me too. And he has surely, at least at this point, succeeded in so doing with this poor man. You know, this man is sort of uh, in the midst of a cosmic battle many people don't see because you can't see it with the eyes Uh Physical eyes, you have to see it with spiritual eyes, and it's a cosmic value between, a, a battle between Satan and Savior, who both want to occupy human hearts. This man is in the midst of the battle. By the way, you too. Therefore, it is so very, very wonderful to be filled by the very Spirit of Jesus upon your invitation for Him to do so. When you say, come into my life, Lord Jesus. Take up your abode in my life. Make me the person you want me to be. Change me from the inside. Fill me to overflow. When you do that, you're safe. (laughs) But if you don't do that, then you're open to be occupied by the evil one, as this man was. So, seeing Jesus, verse twenty-eight, he cried out and fell before him and said, in a loud voice, "What business do we we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me." Um, do you know that demons have faith? <laughs> These demons had faith. Look, they fall down at the Lord's feet, they pray to him, they acknowledge that he is Jesus, son of the most high God, but they do not have saving faith. Today you hear a lot of discussion about some measure of faith in this Jesus, But it may not be saving faith. I probably shouldn't give examples as specific as this, but, eh, you know, you get to be a certain age. What do you got to lose? You know? So I was watching Bill O'Reilly. A lot of his points of view resonate with mine. I'm a conservative guy, and he's a conservative guy. But then he got to speaking about theology, of which he knows nothing. Now he's really getting into areas... He has no real awareness of. He spoke about his Catholic background, being raised in Catholic school and so on. And then he got on the subject of Jesus and he began to speak about him. It was totally inaccurate. It was totally based on hearsay and opinion. If you asked him, he would say he's a Christian. If you asked me, I would say, I don't think so. So that's an example of some measure of connection to Jesus, but perhaps no more than these demons had. I mean, they fell at Jesus' feet. They prayed to him. They acknowledged him as son of the Most High God, but there wasn't saving. Saving faith is that faith which converts the soul. Saving faith is that measure of yielded, acknowledgement of sin and yieldedness to the Savior to such an extent that he inhabits, he occupies you and changes you from the inside out. Today, there's a lot of discussion about the faith of uh, Candidates like Mitt Romney, you know, Republican presidential candidate. Mormonism, that's been a lot of, a lot of discussion about Mormonism. And some are saying it's just another brand of Christianity. Joel Osteen says that. It's just another brand of Christianity. You know, I think Joel Osteen knows about as much about theology as Bill Riley does. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying to you, you just simply check out his training. What, 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 what's it? Or Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, she was one of the guests. So, so here's the deal. I, I'm not trying to be uh, critical. I'm just telling you what's out there in the public domain. All you have to do is study the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's not Stuart Rothbard criticized. I'm just telling you what they believe in. Good night. It is not another variety of Christianity. It's an aberration. As this wonderful pastor of First Baptist Dallas said, it's a theological cult. He didn't mean anything critical. He's just making a statement. A cult, by definition, is a departure from orthodoxy, and it is a departure from orthodoxy. So there's a measure of faith, too, in this Jesus, but it isn't saving faith. Saving faith is that measure of faith that converts the soul and moves it into sheer and utter reliance on the merits of Christ for salvation. That is not the teaching of Mormonism. That is not the teaching of Catholicism. That is not the teaching of Judaism, Islam, nothing like that. On Christ the solid rock I stand. No other, all other ground is sinking. See, that's a measure of saving faith, which so ushers you into to the presence of Jesus, when having been there, you're looking no further. Nor are you bringing in to the, salvation which he procured for us, anything else. See, everything else is faith plus. So in Mormonism, it's faith in this Jesus of a certain kind and also works righteousness. It's the Bible plus the Book of Mormon, for instance. In Catholicism, it's a measure of faith in Jesus plus baptism into the Catholic Church. See, any plus, any plus, Um, minimizes the totality of what jesus did and if you do that that's not saving faith saving faith is putting all of your eggs in one basket it's the basket of jesus death burial and resurrection on the cross for you in your place that's yeah so anyway uh, demons have faith too All right, verse 29. For he, the Lord, had commanded the unclean. Does your Bible say unclean spirit? Well, that's one of the best descriptive terms for demons. Unclean. Almost everyone under the influence of demons is moved into immorality of some kind or another. Just degradation. Just degradation. It's an evidence, a symptom of Demonization. So he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So learn something about the enemy. You don't want to become Satan-centered, but as an old military guy, you have to know where the enemy is going to attack. So I'll tell you how Satan is going to attack. It's pretty simple. Uh, he wants to bring about lack of restraint in individuals and nations, and you see it today. So here, uh, more politically incorrect statements. I was trying to think through the Occupy Wall Street thing because it's just so interesting and perplexing to me. W- what is it about? It's not just in Wall Street. It's broken out all over the place. Um, <clears throat> What characterized the Occupy Wall Street movement is sheer and utter lack of restraint. Uh, nobody has a notion of uh, really what they're about. Everyone has a different notion. Now it's broken out into fights, destruction of property, uh, and rapes, um, a lack of hygiene and spread of disease. And, uh, I think people have a right to, 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 to promote a political concern or agenda. F- that's my point. What is it? And now it's anti-Semitism flavored in as well. Now it's the Jews are responsible for everything. Uh, you say, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, but, 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 but it's authored by Satan. He's the author of, of it all. You see, it's the same point of origin. And it's a life of a lack of restraint. That's what he wants. See, the Holy Spirit, one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit, listen, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, then what? Self-control. Galatians 5. See, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the evil spirit, no control. I can't help myself. I can't stop. I can't keep from doing this. I don't want to do this. I keep on doing that. And Satan launched that on a national level. So you have whole countries where, it, where they're bordering on anarchy. Look at Egypt. Look at Libya. Look at Syria. You just see... You just see and it looks like a political issue. It has nothing to do with that. See, it's the it's the it's the reality behind the scenes. It's this cosmic battle between Satan and Savior. Savior wants to bring about a measure of control. To be yielded to him, to be a bond servant of Christ is actually to be free from a self out of control. To be under the control of Jesus is really to be under control to have a measure of control to to be under the control of satan is to be unbridled unrestrained just what do you say thank you billy that is it exactly if it feels good do it yeah exactly charlie i was a month ago at ducati park yeah Poor Gene. <laughs> anyway, uh, David with a slash through it, and knew exactly what they were there for. Yeah. Satan had sent them there to, to, to do mischief. Yeah. And it's all, it's all about the Jews. And whenever I saw that, I told my wife, I said, You be thankful, because our day of res- being resurrected to the Lord Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said. Well said. Thank you, brother. Boy, what would you have given to be in on that conversation? (laughs) That would have been great. Okay, so this is the strategy of the evil one, lack of restraint, lack of restraint. And you're seeing it increasingly on an international level. And Jesus asked him, verse 30, what is your name? And he said, legion. It's a reference to uh, uh, the Roman legion. It's a military term. How many soldiers in a Roman legion? About 6,000. You've got 6,000. The centurion we read about earlier, that'd be 100 soldiers. But in a legion, about 6,000. That doesn't mean every Roman legion had 6,000. If they were fully equipped, they had 6,000. Some had fewer, but, but it's about 6,000. Here's the point. Holy Toledo, this guy is really demon-possessed. Now, Mark writes a parallel account. Mark's gospel, you can read about this. And there we're told, we're talking about 2,000 demons. How do we know that? Because they went into 2,000 pigs. Here we don't, what we know is, goodness gracious, there's a ton of them. And they were imploring him, verse 31, not to command them to go away into the abyss. You want to know something? They read the Bible. They found out what their future is. They know this is their destiny. The abyss is the uh, eternal abode of Satan and fallen angels, otherwise known as demons. Lake of fire, the abyss. They know it's coming. They just want to delay the timing of it. So they beseech the Lord, don't torment us by sending us to the abyss yet. They know they're going there because they're not going to repent. They just still want to occupy. They would rather occupy a human. But anything will do. Don't send us into this, this vacuum, this great nothingness. Let us occupy something. So they implore him. Uh, Not to send them into the abyss. And now, verse 32, there was a herd of many swine. Now, you know, pigs are there because these are Gentile cities. Feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. That's what he did. Gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake. That's why we know this was located probably very close to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. See, they rushed down a steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Now, I'm not making this up. On the basis of that verse, some people say, See, this is why we want nothing to do with Jesus. Look what he did to these innocent pigs. (laughs) I'm not lying. Animal rights activists, look, I got doggies. They're like babies to me, (sighs) but they're doggies. Animal rights activists say, look what he did. For no good reason, he destroyed thousands of pigs. We can never, ever, ever embrace a so-called savior like that. If they were right thinking, they would say, wow, a Savior like that is so willing to embrace one man that the loss of 2,000 pigs pales in comparison. One delivered, cleaned up, freed up, made whole human life is worth more than 2,000 pigs. This is the valuation of the Savior. But anyway, that's what happened. So um, then in the last class, a guy said, yeah, and the environmentalists would probably not like Jesus because the pigs polluted the water or something like (laughs) Uh, that. So when the herdsmen, verse 34, saw what had happened, they ran away, and they reported it in the city and out in the country, and the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became filled with joy. Tommy. Tom. (laughs) He doesn't like me calling him Tommy. (laughs) Why? Because he's bigger? Oh. Thomas. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Um, I was facetiously putting in the word because you would think they'd be filled with joy, not fear. All right, so here, listen, get the picture. Uh, the guy had been naked; now he's clothed. The guy had been uh, shackled; now he's in his right mind. The guy had been living apart from society in tombs; now he's seated at the Lord's feet. Tom's question is so good. Therefore, why are they afraid? What are they afraid about? Let me offer something. That's what they're afraid about they saw a transformation in this man's life they couldn't bring about they tried didn't they they posted guards they they put shackles and chains on him all to no avail they couldn't heal him they couldn't deliver him they couldn't fix him suddenly they see who they are in the light of who Jesus is and you know a lot of people don't like that picture you know what the picture says jesus is god and you ain't. Could I tell you something? People don't like that. People would like to act as God. Masters of their own destiny. You see this in the political realm today, I think, more than ever. Folks speak as if they're the Savior. Human, fo- good, maybe good people, surely better than me, more in- intellectual, intelligent, all you know, whatever, capable, administratively, whatever you want to call it. But they ain't the Savior. You know, i got to just tell you, we hate that. We hate the notion that there is a God and I'm not he. We hate the notion that I have to admit to my limitations and praise him who is the unlimited one. We hate the notion that I have to be dependent on and beholden to the one who is God. Because we hate the fact that I have to dethrone self from the throne of my own life and make sure Jesus is there. I just have to tell you. They were fearful. Who could do such a thing that we for years have failed to do? So they were filled with fear. It's perplexing, but but they were. And verse 36, those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district, Am I reading this right? Asked him to leave. Asked him, asked Jesus to leave them. For they were, here we go again, gripped with fear. And they got into a boat and returned. Can I tell you something? The world wants Jesus to leave. You know this. You see it. Legislators don't mind Allah because <laughs> he's not God. Legislators increasingly protect the rights of members of devotees of other pretenders to the throne. <laughs> but the world does not, the world wants Jesus to leave. There's something about the light of life. He illuminates the darkness. And for those of us who don't want to repent when we see what we look like when the light's on, we want Jesus to leave. So you can't pray in his name. You can't do this. You can't do that. Mohammed is cool. Allah no problemo. Why? Because they ain't the real deal. Nobody's threatened by a a counterfeit. I'll tell you proof that Jesus is who he said he is. Notice how Christians respond to him. And notice how non-Christians respond to him. Wow. People get stirred up with devotion or distaste one or the other. Nobody's neutral. So so so, so and you know I think another thing here. I think they're saying good night. He's here just a short while and we lost a few thousand pigs. That's like money. If he hangs out, how's this gonna help us, how's this gonna affect us economically? The sausage, they're lose. Yeah, they're gonna loosen all the bacon and sausage, absolutely. <laughs> 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 Folks, in that day and in this day, people think the number one issue is the economy. No, it is not. The number one issue is doing life in submission to the giver of life. That's the number one issue. So in this day, people were more comfortable with demons being around than with Jesus being around. So too in our day. Listen to me. The average American will vote for the person who could give them or promise he can give them a job. And nothing else matters. Economics Which leads me to this. Would you like to know who our next president is going to be? I know. You want to know who? The one we deserve. Don't be dumping on the president. Don't be dumping on the president. We have a system whereby our presidents are elected by the citizenry. We're going to get who we deserve. We have who we deserve, good or bad, you make your decision. We will receive in the next administration who we deserve. Don't be putting, don't be, don't be, don't be, bad president, bad president, as if the voting population got it together. No, 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 the president is just representing the rest of us. He's the representative of the rest of us. I'm just trying to tell you here. The big issue of the day for most Americans is the economy. Republicans, Democrats, the whole deal. Morality means nothing. Listen to me. The Prime Minister of Italy has resigned. Berlusconi, I believe his name is, or something like that. You know what's interesting to me? He was embroiled in an unbelievable sex scandal in Italy. He was totally unashamed about it. Young girls coming and going. I mean, we're not talking about, yes, I made a mistake. I had a one-night affair with someone. I mean, we're talking about in your face like a gang of young girls. For years, prime minister of Italy. Could I tell you something? They didn't ask him to step down. The Italian economy is in trouble, and on that basis they required he resigned. What does that tell you? It tells you they're no different than the folk in Luke 8. Go away, Jesus. Stop messing with our pigs. It's the economy, stupid. Right? No. And so all these who would be king <laughs> are coming up with plans for the economy because they have figured out that's the language they are to speak. If they're going to be elected that is not the language. The language is fall to your knees and beg the God who created us to forgive us our sin. I know it's far-fetched and it's not going to happen. Well, I'm not, I'm not angry with the president. I don't understand why people are so angry with the president. He got elected. Nobody forced his way into office. Whoever the next president is is exactly who we deserve, folks. It's amazing to me. Berlusconi can can uh, be the prime minister, I think, for like seventeen years in Italy, no problem. Who cares what he does in his private? You know this deal. How do you separate out a leader's character from the leader's policy? See, that's what we do, that's what we do. As long as, you know, uh, as long as home prices go up and employ- unemployment goes down, as long as I'm I like, at my retirement, my, my 401k is cool, I don't care, I don't care what they do in the Oval Office. That's right. And we got what we got. God cares. Dan? Yeah, 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 yeah. And when that happened, Dan yeah, is such a good illustration. When President Clinton committed his acts of immorality, it was just amazing to see the reaction. You know, well, we're two consenting adults, it doesn't matter. What the, you know, he's a good president, he's good for the economy. Can you see it's no different? You know, he's letting us have our pigs. Listen to me, when you prefer, when you prefer uh, demons <laughs> over Jesus, it's called, uh, it's called the world situation we're presently in. Yeah, so that's it. Some yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently we have no choice. Yes. And then it said just prior to it, uh, entering the garden, that Satan entered his heart. Satan actually came in and occupied the position in his heart. Right. Yes. And the Lord Jesus asked him, he says, Friend, why do not you come? And he was appealing. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. And his love and tenderness, the same way this maniac could hear us feel. This Jesus. is true. And he done that, the Lord would clean him up and just make things good. No question. And what Charlie said, this is a love story. I love the way you put it. You're going to see it here. If I can just, uh, <laughs> let, let, let me take you here. Um uh, so, so, uh verse 38, I think, is where we are right now. But the man from whom, just two more verses, but the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him. The, the man set free, Charlie, by the Lord, was begging him that he might accompany him. But he, the Lord, sent him away, saying, Return to your house. Describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming, throughout the whole city, what great things Jesus had done for him. Listen, this is interesting. This is the only request denied in this story. Demons make a request of Jesus. Don't send us into the abyss. Send us into the pigs. Jesus grants the request. People of the area request that Jesus depart. He does. Jesus grants the request. This man, set free, delivered, cleaned up, makes a request. I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no. Isn't that interesting? It's the only request denied. And you see why? It's just as Charlie said, the Lord so loved the very ones who asked him to leave that though they did not want him, he wanted them. And he left them with a testimony. This man would go back home. His family would welcome him. Neighbors would come for dinner. They would look at him clothed and in his right mind. They would say, what has happened to you? How did you get this way? And he would say, I met a Savior. What a testimony. They would reject this Jesus, but maybe through this man, they would see the transforming power of this Jesus. Go be living proof of a loving God to this watching world. Stay with them. And By the way, that's what he wants for us. He wants people whom we know to see the before and the after. And then we're called to give an explanation of what has intervened. It's not because I cleaned up my act. It's not because I made amends. It's not because I made a New Year's resolution. (laughs) The difference between my before and after is that I met a Savior. And he changed me from the inside. And he has occupied me. He dwells within. He has filled me with his spirit. And he has changed me. See? Isn't it better to have a taste for God's Spirit than for demons? (laughs) You know what the thing is about demonic influence? Many under the influence of demons don't know it. But when you're under the influence of Jesus, you know it, don't you? (laughs) He doesn't keep it secret because the deliverer doesn't want you deceived and in the darkness he wants you matured and enlightened so you can know who you're devoted to but when the evil one influences it's always in the shadows and so those under his influence in many cases in the most striking way have no idea of it one's a deceiver one's a deliverer who has you satan or savior there's no other options let it be the savior Let it be the Savior. You know what he says? Come to me. All who are naked and who feel alone and who feel on the outside and who are out of control and who are unrestrained and who've been engaged in degrading things, come to me just like this. Come to me, all who are so weary and so heavy laden, shackled and chained, Uh, And even those can't restrain you. Come to me, all who worry heavenly. I'll give you rest. Which is it? Satan or Savior? May it be the Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming at great personal cost to rescue us. We've all been at one time the walking dead. Now you've given us abundant and eternal life. Giver of life. Through us, may others come to hear the explanation for our lives. I met a Savior, and his name is Jesus. May through us, Lord Jesus, many, many, many more, see the difference, ask questions, and come into your embrace by faith. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you folks. Thank you for your kind attention. Go get yourself a good, uh, some good pork ribs. Those are good. <laughs> Thank right. you.